Good morning. For everything there is a season, a time of every activity under heaven. Please reminded of our uh, you know, all our activities that are going on this week, and um, we're hoping to start our um, uh, hot topics probably coming up in the middle of September. Also, too, about the food bank that we have, that we give money to the Wichita ITC to feed the hungry, and also the baby change bottles that we share with those uh, for families that can't afford some of the items that babies need. He will feed his flock like a shepherd, and he will carry the lambs on his arms, holding them close to his heart. He will gently lead the mother's sheep with their young. Let's stand together as we sing praise him, praise him. Steve, will you read the background for us? Praise Him, Praise Him is another of the many favorite hymns written by Fanny Crosby. It first appeared in a Sunday school hymnal, Bright Jewels, published in 1869. Um, it's hard to find a hymn more filled with praise and joy. Jesus is hailed as rock, redeemer, prophet, priest, and king. But just when he seems out of reach, we see him as a shepherd carrying his little ones in his arms. our blessed Redeemer, sing, O earth, his wonderful love proclaim. Hail him, hail him, highest archangel in glory, strength and honor give to his holy name. Like a shepherd, Jesus will guard his children, in his arms he carries them all day long. Praise him, praise him, tell of his excellent greatness. Praise Him, praise Him, ever in joyful song. Praise Him, praise Him, Jesus our blessed Redeemer. For our sins He suffered and bled and died. He our rock, our hope of eternal salvation. Hail Him, hail Him, Jesus the crucified. Sound His praises, Jesus who bore our sorrows. Fortunately, if we confess those sins, they will be forgiven. Please join me in this morning's prayer confession. God, 
we come to you with hearts heavy with the residue from the sins we committed this week. We had opportunities this week to exhibit patience, but instead there were times we lost control and we said and did things that dishonored your name. There were times our minds gave in to bad attitudes because life was going the way we wanted it to go. Forgive us for these and the ones that we forgot. Give us hearts that truly hunger and thirst after your righteousness rather than ours. Give us passion and faith that will go beyond our insecurities and inadequacies to live like Jesus every day of our lives. It is by the power of the Holy Spirit we can live this out. Through Jesus Christ we pray this. Amen. Our assurance of forgiveness this morning comes from 1 John 2, chapter, uh, verse 1. My dear children, I am writing this to you so that you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate who pleads our case before the Father. He is Jesus Christ, the one who is truly righteous. Guidelines for living is from 1 John 3, verse 18. Dear children, let's not merely say that we love each other. Let us show the truth by our actions. Let's continue our worship. Let's stand together as we sing if we can. We'll begin with come. Now is the time to worship.
Frances Havergal was vacationing in the south of Wales in 1876. She caught a severe cold accompanied by inflammation of the lungs. Hearing how ill she was and that she might die, she replied, if I am really going, it is too good to be true. Her friends were amazed at how peacefully she received this information. She did survive that illness <clears throat> and later that year wrote the hymn, Like a River Glorious, in which she pointed to the source of her perfect peace. Stayed upon Jehovah, hearts are fully blessed, finding, as he promised, perfect peace and rest. By drawing on two passages from Isaiah's prophecy, Francis tells us how we can find peace. Isaiah 48, 18, God promises peace like a river. In Isaiah 26, 3, Isaiah wrote, You will keep in perfect peace him whose mind is steadfast because he trusts in you. Heavenly Father, we thank you for all the blessings you give to us, the many material blessings that we have for homes, for cars, for places to work and jobs, for insurance and for health care. Lord, we just give you all praise and glory for the many things that you have done for us and given to us. 
I pray especially, Father, now take these gifts that people give and they, they bring glory and honor to your name. And we thank you especially as we're going to sing the wonderful peace you give to our hearts, no matter what our trial or difficulty is, you still give it to us. Thank you, God, for being so awesome. In Jesus' name, amen. Come into the presence of the Lord in prayer. Father and God, we just thank you for the wonderful blessings that we have in this life. Lord, you are so wonderful and you put such a spectacular world before us. The great opportunities that we have in America, the great places that we can go and the freedoms that we have.
We pray especially for our government, Lord, that they understand that and those who work to protect it and those especially who make the laws and, Lord, understand that um, what great principles this nation was founded on and how we need to preserve them. <clears throat> we pray especially, too, Lord, for those who keep us safe, for the soldiers and sailors and Air Force and all those who guard us and protect this nation and also provide protection for the democracy that is so fragile that we have. We pray also to Father God <clears throat> for our world today, Lord, uh, many things going on. And we just pray for wisdom for those who are in charge to do what needed and the wisdom to care for it. And I thank you, Father God, for this congregation and all the things they do and care for and uphold, Lord. I pray especially, Father God, for our brothers and sisters who can't be with us, for Bill, for Lucille, for Joyce, for Karen, uh, these who have to be homebound and are struggling, for Bill especially as he is going through his stages of cancer, eating his body. I pray for Connie who ministers to him. I pray also too for our brother Howard who had surgery on his back this week and for Full recovery for him, Lord. Be with also Joyce, who's having real bad back problems also, that they will be able to give her relief that she needs. I pray also, too, for Everett and for Angie and for Samantha and Jason and Jordan um, and also Mr. Mack. All these people are battling cancer, Lord. We ask you, Lord, for your healing upon them. I pray also for Dr. Bott, who's... Uh, struggling with his cancer now and just, uh, just pray give him strength as he continues to battle. I pray also too for Nick who's supposed to have surgery this week but had to be canceled because of some health issues and I just pray that that can be healed up. Both him and his mom are very sick <clears throat> and I just pray for their healing so that he can get the surgery that he needs. I pray also too Father for um, the people that we know that are <clears throat> addicted, Lord, and are battling addictions. We think of Jordan and Ryan and David and Eric, Ricky, Mitch, and Russell, Lord, and all the complications that come with that, Father. I pray that you'll break that addiction in their hearts and that they'll see you as their Lord and Savior. And Father, I pray for those things that maybe are things that are on our hearts that we haven't been able to write down or something. In the quietness of this moment, Lord, hear our prayers as we lift them up to you. <clears throat> and now, Father God, open up your word to us today. That, Lord, that we can deal with your truth. That your Holy Spirit will make it come alive to our hearts and that we can even do better as brothers and sisters in Christ, as your followers, as your disciples, in the areas of life that you've called us to be missionaries to. Bless us now, Jesus. In your name we pray. Amen. <clears throat> there was a group of kids in Miami, on Miami Boulevard, who did some nasty things in which they cut down these 15-foot trees that were aligning the boulevard. And behind it was this beautiful sign that says, Fly Delta. 
Well, it was on the news, and what happened was that uh, somebody stepped up and said they'll put new trees in, and they put in 35-foot trees. And the donor of those new trees was American Airlines. Well, they wanted to block that sign. Their motives were not so pure, were they? And today Jesus is talking about the way we live our lives as Christians. And whether or not we truly are sincere about who we are and then we're not hypocritical, what motivates us to following him? If you remember, Jesus now began and we're in the middle of the Sermon on the Mount where Augustine had called it the Sermon on the Mount, but really it was Jesus' discipleship with his 12 disciples and us. And remember, Jesus had been baptized and he was declared the Son of God and he was God in the flesh. We know that the 40 days he spent in temptation so he can conquer it, and he did conquer all the temptations of his life, and we can go to him to gain victory over our own temptations. But now Jesus has called his 12 disciples, and as we're on the sermon, on what they call the Sermon on the Mount, Jesus is speaking to his disciples. And if you remember, he started in the third person, blessed are. Blessed are those who are comforted, that we mourn for our sins, that we realize that we're blessed because we're poor, because we realize how poor we are spiritually. Blessed when we are persecuted. Then he goes to the second person, he tells us our description of our job. He says, you're the soul of the earth, you're the purifiers, you're the cleansers. You and I are to keep our society from falling off the grid. And that we're also to be the light to shine on those dark areas where we see sin, where we see wrong, we stand up for us. There's nothing like going to a crime scene. I was called out to a crime scene of a, a young 17-year-old who was murdered. And there were 350 people around, but nobody saw anything. Jesus calls us to stand up. And when we see something, we talk about it, we tell somebody. Now, Jesus is now coming to us with the first person. If you remember, he walked through some of the commandments that Jesus, that God had given to Moses. And if you remember what those commandments were, you shall not murder. And Jesus said, well, the Pharisees followed that, but that's only the surface. Deep down spiritually, if we say something negative about a person, we call them rock or stupid or a fool, we are murdering their personality. He said, do not commit adultery. You've heard that. And he says, but if you look upon a woman lustfully, that's doing the same thing. And the same thing he talked about adultery. And he talked about also divorce. And he spoke to us very candidly about that. And that divorce was to help people, but seriously not to be used as a tool to get in and out of marriages like it's a dating game. And today, Jesus speaks to us. You know, there's some people who believe in the United Methodist movement for a while. Charles Wesley believed that people could reach perfection in this life. On their sanctification, he even had a holiness club. But they soon discovered that it's very hard to live a perfect life in this life. In fact, we all sin and fall short of the glory of God. And Jesus here today wants to remind us, yes, there is grace for our sin. We're forgiven. But there are times that we also need to be very much aiming towards righteousness. He said that to his disciples. He says that your righteousness exceed that of the Pharisees. And so Jesus now turns with us from really orthodoxy, which is right belief, 
Now he goes to orthopraxy, which is right, which is right way to live and how to act it out. Because Jesus saw in the Pharisees how they were misinterpreting the scriptures, even in their actions of how they were acting religiously. And Jesus calls us to this and wants us to stand for what is right belief. Right now there's a thing going on in the Reformed faith um, of <clears throat> some groups that are calling it the federal vision. And they're tampering with some of the great doctrines of the faith like justification. And it's wrong and they need to see that. Jesus shows us what was wrong with the, with the Pharisees and showed his disciples, this is how you're to believe. Not only is this how you believe, but now he says, now we're going to look at how to practice your faith. And one of the things Jesus says is beware. He says, beware of practicing your righteousness before men to be noticed by them. Otherwise, you have no reward with your Father who is in heaven. And Jesus is showing us the hypocrisy. Hypocrisy, as we know, is, is someone who wears a mask. Someone who covers up who they truly, really are. It's an actor who gets out on the stage and acts somebody who really not. And Jesus says, that's not the way to do it. He says, you are to be the person who truly loves me and lives that way fully. And don't put mask on and put airs on that you're different than you are, or that you're very religious. Hypocrisy is a dangerous game. Because what happens, you can't be dependent on if you're a hypocrite. That's not truly who you are. And so Jesus here attacks and says, here's the key. He says, you be genuine. And he attacks in three levels. You see, the Pharisees believe three levels that you could tell a person's really true religiosity. Number one is how they give. Number two, how they pray. Number three, how they fast. And Jesus wants us to see that religion, our faith is of our hearts. And not putting on ears that we're perfect. That we have no problem with them because we do. We struggle with it. But that we give our hearts fully and that we know the state of our heart is truly aligned with Jesus. Now, Jesus is talking about a situation he'll talk about. People wanting prominent places to show their spirituality. John MacArthur talked about a guy when he, he was in the Middle East who would sit on the corner every day, filled with ashes, showing that he was a humble, repentant man. And then he would go home and treat his wife and family terribly. And was not very hum humble, but he was arrogant. This is what Jesus is talking about. He's not, he's saying people who need to be devoted to the Lord need to act the truth of the gospel. Genuine. I remember myself. Sandy and I had just moved to New Jersey. We had one bought a brand new car and then we had to buy a second car when she had our baby. And so what we did is we bought a station wagon. We thought that would be good for the family. The guy I bought it was, he said he was a great Christian who belonged to this big church. He was an elder in the church. And he said to us, well, the station wagon, we've only owned it. We're the only owners. And that we've taken care of it. 
And he gave me this whole wonderful spiel about it. So I bought it from him. Christian guy, elder in his church, what could go wrong? <laughs> I think I paid more money to fix that car than I actually paid for the car. And we found out after we ran a background check on the car, which you could do with the DMV, that the car had two other owners and the car had been in a flood. And I was scammed by this fellow. Very hurtful. Claiming to be a Christian, a follower of Jesus Christ, and yet not living that way. He was playing a game to get me to buy it. There are people in our lives that will come along and claim to be great Christians when they may not be who they say they are. My uncle was a wonderful Christian man, he walked with the Lord. He was married to his wife who was from the military. She got hurt in the military and was on disability. But she loved Christ too and the two of them couldn't have children because of this injury. And yet they walked with the Lord and they shared everything they could with us and their family. And when they were after their 45th wedding anniversary, she died. My uncle was very alone and had a lot of money because her and him both worked and they had no kids. They owned a lakefront and it was gorgeous. And he met a woman at church and she said all the right things. In fact, every time I walked into him, hello, Reverend, how are you? And I thought, oh. <laughs> and sure enough, she got him to move and he realized that she was trying to take him for his money. She was a gold digger. My uncle crawled me on the phone and was just crying. He said, Dave, I never have ever wanted to marry. I always believed marriage was between a man and a woman and to death you part. He said, but this woman is not who she said she was. I thought she was this wonderful, beautiful Christian woman to take the place of your Aunt Viola. And instead, she is not who she is and claimed to be. And I'm in court right now because she's trying to take all my money away. And I'd have to get a lawyer to cover. My uncle had told him that he better get a lawyer and protect his assets. Tragic that she played that game. And broke his heart. Jesus says, beware. Both of those who practice that kind of religion. And be aware in our own hearts. Because it's so easy to fall into those traps. Some of us don't even realize we fall into it. There are some people sometimes become approval addicted. We want everybody else to approve of us. And we're willing to do anything for them. And we want them to like us. And that's dangerous. The Bible here is speaking us to beware of looking for our approval from other people. That kind of an addiction, you know, we know of Jeff Foxworthy, and he said, you might be a redneck. Listen to this list. You might be an approval addict, 
if you get hurt when somebody says something about you critical and you feel like crying. You might be an approval addict if you compare yourself with other people and feel less. You might be an approval addict if you hunger and thirst for praise and compliments from people. You might be an approval addict when somebody gets mad at you and you feel so insecure about that. You might be an approval addict when somebody asks you your opinion and you want to know what that other person's thinking so you can say what they want to hear so you don't get rejected. You might be an approval addict when you feel anxious when they ask you for your opinion. You might be an approval addict when you worry about what people are thinking of you. Jesus says, beware. Beware of how you're thinking. The way to fix that is to fix it in the mind and heart with God. As we all know, addicts, they get their fix, but guess what? It doesn't last that long. The fixes never last forever. And it's always a longing for more. And the question we have to ask ourselves, and this is what Jesus is asking us, who do you belong to? Do you belong to God? Or do you belong to the world? Does a little rejection get you depressed? Do you feel like nobody likes you? Or are you free in Christ? See, the Apostle Paul understood this. And he wouldn't be the dynamic, the Apostle Paul and the gospel would not have spread if he did not, if he allowed the world to dictate his life. But his attitude was, it's the Lord who judges me. It's the Lord who I'm in the audience of and I'm going to do and obey him. And what the world thinks is a small thing compared to that. It's a very small thing. And that I work for the approval of God. My self-esteem is not dependent on what other people think of me. It's that I'm in the audience of one and I'm honoring God with what I do. And that I know that I am loved by him and that his grace, he died on the cross for me and that I am so important to him. He did that for me and I am living for him now and not for what the world says. I was listening to a pastor who was talking about <clears throat> the time he left his church and a woman was weeping at his farewell party. And he said, don't be sad. I'm sure the next pastor will even be better than I am. And she said, they said that the last time. And it keeps on getting worse. <laughs> Look at what Paul says in Galatians chapter 1. He says, for I am now seeking the favor of men or of God. Or am I striving to please men? 
If I were trying to please men, I would not be a bondservant of Christ. Paul was seeking the approval of God. That's why he could say and do, and that's why he could face armies and, and whips and beatings and, and, and lions because he was in the audience of one. And the question the scripture is asking is, who do you look for your approval from? Whose praise do you look for? What men say is not important. Yes, we should filter when we are criticized and pick out and learn from things to make us better. But we don't fall apart when people say negative things about us because we're the child of the King, Jesus. And we don't have to fear what they say. We live for God's pleasure. We live for God's approval of us. Our security is in God's love for us and the grace he gave us. Our identity is in the image of God. Our strength and power comes from God. We don't need human approval. And you know there are people in our lives, whether it be a coworker or a spouse or a family member, a parent, teacher, coach, and that we can't let them dictate to us because we have God's approval and that we stand on him. And the question you have to ask yourself, and I have to ask myself too, when that fashion expert on TV shows us what's cool and we wear sloppy clothes, ask yourself, what does it matter? <laughs> when the kids that are on Twitter and are on Facebook, TikTok, and they're putting you down, Bullying you doesn't matter if you're approved by God. It doesn't matter what they say. It doesn't matter if what your co-workers say about you. Whether it's negative and untrue, it doesn't matter. What matters is that we're before God. And we live before him. And we are free from the tyranny of the bondage of the approval of other people. We don't need that. We stand before an audience of one. They say one of the problems with Facebook right now and some of these media things, people begin to get what is called a generalized other. And they put it in their brains and they don't even know they're doing it subconsciously and they're feeling pressure to be somebody they're not. Sociologist George Mead says, and it's impacting young people tremendously. They've even had, we've saw it on TV of a young girl who manipulated her boyfriend to commit suicide because he was so approval-seeking from her. 
Some of us have in our heads people from our past who we think that we're at the Olympics and they hold the card of 9.5 or 6.0. Rarely a 10. And they're in our heads. I knew a woman who was a clean freak. It became such an obsession with her and it was driving her husband nuts and her kids. And that every time something was spilled, she was immediately picking it up and yelling. And finally her husband says, I can't stand this. What's going on with you? And it happened right after her mother died. And here what had happened was, they went to counseling and they found out that her mother was on her own ways. To keep things clean. Don't let your jacket in that go. Hang it up. Close the doors. What's that spot on your carpet? Clean it up. And after her mother died, it, it came on to her. And, and, and she couldn't stop the approval messages she was getting in her head. And it was driving all the people that loved her away. And it was because of this internal, generalized other from her mother in the past that she couldn't release herself. And realized that Christ loved her and that she didn't have to be the perfect housekeeper. And that she can enjoy her house with her children, with her husband. And not hear that voice of condemnation every time something was a little bit off in the house. Jesus wants us to be free. And that we integrate inside of us. Yes, we have pure motives in our heart. Yes, we want to do what is right. But we do it to the honor of God and not the approval of men and women and people around us who may even mean well, but they destroy some people's freedom. And so Jesus is saying, number one, be careful of your motives. Make sure when you do things that you do it for the honor and glory of God. Pay attention to your motive. And look at where your act is aimed. Is it aimed for you to feel better about yourself or is your act aimed to help somebody? And watch where your reward comes from. Is it to finally feel that release that my mother approved of me? Or is it because I please God? And that I don't have to pretend anymore. I can be who Christ has made me. And I don't have to put on an air that I have it all together, that I know everything, and I've kept everything true. There are people who also come along and don't want to have anything to do with God about this. 
They say people can be good and they don't need to be. There's a group of people of non-religious called the American Humanist Association who've tried to debunk God. And God has given us goodness, whether you're a believer or not. Why did God do that? God gave a, a person, can be a, a, a pagan atheist, and can still do good because God made us in his image. And one of the things that we reflect him of is his goodness. And there are people who are trying to deny God with this stuff, and they can do well. But tragically, a lot of times their motives are skewed. And Jesus is saying to us, don't let your motives get screwed up. Bless the person. Ask yourself, what am I in it for? What's my payback? Am I looking for the praise of men? Back in 1977, Ted Turner went before the UN and he gave them a billion dollars to feed the poor, to help clothe those who had nothing, to bring shelter. And of course, Ted had to have it on his network and he had Larry King interview him and he unfolded it at a big banquet. Because he wanted the praise of men. Tragic. Because it was all about him. And Jesus here is saying to us, what's your motivation for doing good? Do you want to be noticed by people? Or do you do it because you're doing it for the audience of one, which is Almighty God? And Jesus here, if you notice here now, he says, this is what to avoid. Because what happens is, there's good that we do. Feeding the poor. I mean, it's great that Ted Turner did that. But the question is, why do he do it? Jesus goes on to say, look at your motive and avoid what you're doing. To get the praise of men. So when you give to the poor, do not sound the trumpet before you as the hypocrites do in the synagogues and in the streets, so that be honored by men. Truly I say to you, they have the reward. That's all they get. In Jesus' day, some people would do that. If they were going to give some big chunk of change to the temple, or if they were going to give food to the hungry, or they would have people go ahead of them with the trumpet and go, bah, 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 bah. look what I'm doing. I'm giving to the poor. And it's all over self gratification. And Jesus says, that's all you're going to get. It's interesting in some societies in the Near East, people do this to this day. In fact, some of the poor have learned a way to get people to give to them. They carry a little trumpet around. And then when somebody will give them money while they're begging on the street, they will blow the horn and show that this person has been nice to them and they have given to them. They sound the trumpet. 
In one temple, there was a place that had a horn. And that's where you brought your gifts to God. And the more you could put the stuff in there, the more it clanged, the more it impressed people. And they were looking at you. Jesus said, that's not the way this is to be. In fact, Jesus talked about a little woman in chapter 12. Who gave more than anybody else in the whole temple. Because she gave her last coin. And her spirit's generosity was because she gave it all. They were given from their great amounts of riches. She gave the last dime she had. You see, in our world, we're always looking at, and John Mott, who's a missionary, said this. He said, what's very interesting is that the world will ask, how much did he give? Jesus asked, why did he give? What's the motive? And that's for us. Jesus even speaks about this, and he says, and when you give to the poor... Do not let your left hand know what your right hand is doing. Check your motives. And that you're so filled with God and you have a heart of generosity and love for people. And that my heart is in you. That you're willing. You're not even thinking about it. You're actually giving from your heart and a heart of humility. And the joy that I give you in my heart. And that you're willing to give whatever it takes. This is what makes people who are so good ball players sometimes. Because they're willing to do whatever it needs to be for the team to get down to the road. To get down to the touchdown. To win the ball game. And sometimes that's very much missing in our world today. Because we have all these superstars. I mean the Yankees paid more money than who knows how. And they're terrible this year. Why? It's because they are there for themselves or they're playing for the team. Branch Rickey, who's the general manager for the Dodgers. And he said one of the worst players he ever had was a guy by the name of Eddie Sinke. <laughs> and he played for Brooklyn, he played for Boston, and he also played for New York Giants. But he said he wasn't a very good runner. He wasn't a very good hitter. And he was not even a great fielder. But he gave everything he got to win. He gave it to the team. And you see, God wants us to do something and find a way like that Eddie Sankey does. He's not looking for our abilities and he's not looking and, and this is what happens with people sometimes we look for excuses why not to perform and Jesus wants us to give ourselves to him and our hearts and do it for the right reasons we're not fans folks as Christians we're on the field every day wherever you go to work that is your hundred yards and you're on that field battling as a Christian, as a member of the church of Jesus Christ. And you're the one who needs to win the battle. And in Christ you can.
And that we as Christians work together as a team to change this world. That's what's going to change this world. That's what's going to change this society that is so out of control right now. I was watching the other day and they had a woman on that was crying and angry and saying that she was going to sue her veterinarian because her son believed he was a cat and he was sick and the veterinarian wouldn't do that. He said, I'd lose my license if I treated your son. Take him to a regular doctor. And we need to be there for these people and say, no, your son is not a cat. He's a human being made in the image of God. You gave birth to him. Don't let him fall into this delusion. This is what God wants us to do, is to help people to see they're made in his image. And that we in the body of Christ accept one another. We love one another. We devote ourselves to one another. We encourage one another as we go on to this world. That seems absurd. And that we do it, folks, for the glory of him and not for ourselves. And that we don't do it to make ourselves pat ourselves on the back. We don't even know we're doing it. But we're given in secret because the Father, He knows what we're doing. And we're doing it for His glory. And sometimes, folks, you know you're going to get heat for that. When you do it because you're honoring Christ and the gospel, people may put you down for it. But remember, that you're doing it for his glory. Not for your approval of your friends. But you're doing it from the heavenly God of glory. John Calvin said, by this expression, Jesus means that we ought to satisfy with having God as our witness to what we do. That's all we need. That we are people with integrity in our hearts. That we do things out of the love of Christ to help others. And that we are rewarded by God. In the end, we don't need it now. And that we're willing to sacrifice and take the heat. And believe me, folks, you will take the heat. And you probably do already. For honoring God with your life and what you give. It's interesting in Paul's letter to the Corinthians. He talks about giving. And those who sow sparingly reap sparingly. And those who sow generously reap generously. And then he says that we give to God cheerfully. At the end of that verse. And the word there really means we give hilariously. We're laughing about it. Because we know it's not that important. When you think at it from God's perspective and his eternal perspective. The material stuff are really not important. And we do it to honor him. For the audience of him.
And you see, when we do that, people understand that there's something different about us, something different about you that's so critical and important. And there are times that you'll find in your life people will say to you, what makes you so different? And it's at that time you can share with them about your Jesus. Sometimes people will not understand your way. Some people will even say things and do things to try to hurt you as you do the good that God is doing for you. I was reading this story in closing about Charles Spurgeon and his wife. They had chickens and they would sell the eggs. They would not give the eggs away, but they would sell them. And some of the people in the church began to look down on his wife and him for not giving the eggs to some of the people in the church wouldn't even give the eggs to their own family, but they would sell them. And some people began to get the attitude that maybe Spurgeon was greedy. Maybe him and his wife were greedy and taking all that money and stowing it away. And then what happened was his wife, Spurgeon's wife died. And then the rest of the story came. That the Spurgeons were unwilling to give away their eggs because they were selling them because there were two widow ladies in their church who couldn't afford to live. And they were on the street. And they took them and got them a home and gave them food and provided for them to live by selling those eggs and giving them the money. And nobody ever knew that, even though suspicion in the congregation and suspicion among their friends and being labeled greedy, when here, they were lovingly supporting these two elderly ladies who had nothing. In a day when there was no social security, no Medicare, but Joe solely supported them in their lives. Why? Because they did it in front of the audience of one to give God glory. Let's pray together. Father, we want to thank you for examples in our lives of people who in secret lovingly walk with you every day. They don't need horns blowing about them. They don't need accolades of men. But they live for you, Christ. I thank you for these brothers and sisters this morning who walk in that path, who give and love and help, 
because you're in their hearts. And they're doing it to please you, God, and want to walk in your image and be like you, Jesus. Help us, Lord, to stand strong. Help us never to have to think we have to put a mask on to show we're religious, but rather that we are just a real McCoy who walk with you, Jesus, every day. And it's in your name I pray, Christ. Amen. Let's stand together and receive our benediction. And let's close with our doxology. And now the grace of the Lord Jesus Christ, the love of God your Father, and the power of the Holy Spirit rest in you and use you this week as you live for him. Amen. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him above ye heavenly hosts. Praise Father, Son.